Hi, this is Zach Elwood, and welcome to another episode of the People Who Read People podcast. Today we have on Jenny Radcliffe, who calls herself a people hacker, and she's an expert on social engineering, which is the psychological manipulation of people into performing actions or divulging confidential information. You can read more about Jenny on her site, JennyRadcliffe.com, or you can follow her on Twitter at Jenny underscore Radcliffe. And she also has her own podcast, The Human Factor, which I actually thought was a was a great name and to uh, try to choose my own podcast name until I saw that she had uh, beat me to a name. So good job on that. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> That's, that was a good one. It especially fits your uh, more information security focused uh uh, you know, subject matter. I don't, I don't get too much into that or I haven't so far. Sure. So uh, it definitely makes more sense for you than me. Uh, so yeah, welcome to the program, Jenny. Nice to, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Good to be here. So Jenny ha- has had clients that have ranged from corporations to law enforcement, to politicians and companies in the security industry. She also gives talks regularly at information security related events. And she has done some TEDx talks on the subjects. And she's a regular guest expert on security, scams, and social engineering on radio and TV shows. Uh, so what kinds of things uh, do you work on from day to day? So uh, it's, a funny, uh, it's a funny job. If you're not in the security industry, it, it, it's, uh, it sounds completely crazy. But uh, what I do is we replicate criminal attacks on organizations um, using the human a uh, human element of an organization as our attack vector. So it's kind of like being a, a computer hacker, which most people have heard of a computer hacker, right? But we do that, but we don't use computers. We use the people. So psychological techniques, uh, behavioral based techniques in order to um, get someone to let us in, you know, give us confidential information or let us into their organization uh, open a door, answer an email, click on a link. So yeah, that's the day job. So is that is that uh, usually the case where you're hired to try to infiltrate and uh, the people at the top, whoever hired you knows, but the people who you might be infiltrating, none of those people are expecting it? Is that kind of usually the setup? Yes, exactly. So we might be hired by the security teams or by uh, you know a senior person within the company. Um, but yes, we obviously we have to be hired to do it. Otherwise, we are basically criminals. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I just I just more wondered about uh, how how much knowledge there was that from the from the everyday people that there was a uh, an attack coming. You know? well, well, you know, in theory, absolutely none. Because otherwise, what's the you know, it's, it, there'd be no point to it, right? Because if people knew, then it's not a it's not a good simulation. But the problem mm-hmm. is, is that people talk. So, uh, you know, a secret is something you tell one other person mm. and that's what happens. So sometimes um, we're compromised before we start because someone's told someone else that this is going down. But most of the time, most of the people have no idea um, that they're under uh, attack. And are these usually, what size businesses are these usually and are they from certain industries? It's actually uh, all different sizes of organizations, some of the biggest in the world and the most uh, technically secure in the world, or that we'd certainly expect them to be secure, um, and down to some smaller companies. But because uh, these days it's more larger businesses, corporations uh, and government organizations, 
back in the day when I started, we did do a lot of small companies and and even just individuals. So people high worth individuals um, checking their houses and and their teams. Mm-hmm. Do you think is is it true? Uh, I don't have a great understanding of it, but is it true that if a company has any sort of database with you know customer information, is that's that's going to be valuable to uh, you know that that's valuable to anyone, right? Like who want who wants. Uh, that's usually what they're going after. Is that accurate to say? Yeah, certainly from a technical point of view, um, you know, that's something that the the sort of technical guys are trying to access. We would too, um, but under direction from the techies because it's a non-technical hack that I do. But yeah, you see, the thing is, people assume that it's always just a, a smash and grab job, you know, that you're just going for the finances. But actually data these days is worth more, you know, as much as if not more than um, you know, then us going straight for the money sometimes. Um, the extortion possibilities are are huge. You know, many companies are, are threatened with ransomware, for example. Um, you know, they, they get the email that says, you know, we've got we, we can shut you down or we have your data or whatever it is, and they pay. Uh, you know, and anyone in security will tell you never, you know, you should never pay because you, you probably won't get your files back anyway. But, um. But, you know, if you can get that data, uh, if we prove that a company's leaked the data, there are big fines. And, you know, we have Marriott just this last few days, Marriott leaked with all the data there. It's not so much that we can get into people's bank accounts through that data and into their uh, email accounts and into their, you know, their lives. But it's the fact that that company will be fined, presumably, certainly in Europe, huge amounts of money for a lack of due diligence. So, so information data is a, is a very valuable resource in the states. Medical records uh, are a huge uh, target f- for this type of thing because, again, it's worth a lot of money on the dark web as much as anywhere else. So, basically, a hacker might uh, break into a company and say, "Tell the company we have your data. We will release it and make you look bad unless you pay us." It could, be, yeah, it could be that. Um, there's industry. There's also industrial espionage. Um, there's certain organisations are linked to national infrastructure. Um, so you know, there's, there's an awful lot of reasons why a company might become a, a target. I think one thing that people don't understand about hackers who perhaps are not in the industry is that sometimes um, it's because it's there and because it's it's the puzzle the problem of, of trying to crack that organization, a challenge mm-hmm. as well. So right. there'll be, you know, you know, it'll absolutely be a financial incentive, but there will be other things too as well. Uh, a lot of the yeah, time. It's just fun. And yeah. it's, yeah, well, I, you said that, not me, but you're not wrong. Well, yeah, you know, that's what, yeah, the hackers, the hackers get into it for that reason and then might find other reasons later. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Do you, speaking of the extortion attempts, are there ever, people that try to bluff that, like they say, oh, they, they show a little bit of data they got and they're like, we have more, pay us. For sure. But they're bluffing. Oh, yeah, that I mean, and that's certainly from a technical point of view, you know, certainly the last couple of weeks, numerous um, incidents of people reporting, they're getting these emails that say, um, you know, they, they get an email and the email says, this is your email and this is your password and it's the right password, right? So th- that kind of people make, make makes the threat seem credible. And they say, you know, whatever it is, you know, we've we've caught you watching adult material or right, your yeah, cameras on, or and you know, and and pay some Bitcoin usually, and then 
you know, hey, you know, we, 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 we won't, um, you know, we won't release yeah. this to your to your contact list. And and the, the truth of it is, most of those are fake. You know, um, it's a bluff, and and um, because it's not difficult to get someone's email and password off the internet, because you know a lot of accounts have been hacked, and that information is not that difficult to obtain to a criminal. Um, but what they're doing is they're trying to create credibility so that that person has that element of doubt in their mind and they're just playing percentages. You know, a large percentage mm-hmm. of people probably have watched adult material or whatever uh, and wouldn't like that to be known to their work colleagues or, or, or whatever. So they, they, those are chance emails and they, they're kind of less uh, elegant than, than the more targeted attack that we'd attempt. I have been seeing more of those extortion attempts. I got a few of those. Like, uh, yeah, you've been, you've been. We have you on video watching porn. Or uh, if you don't uh, hire me for SEO, I will make your site worthless. You know, yeah. um, it was kind of comical. But uh, I was thinking that. Uh, do you think they were inspired by Black Mirror? Because it was right after that Black Mirror episode with the guy controlling the guy. You know, extorting him from watching porn. That I saw my that first. Uh, one yeah. about we have you on camera. I just wonder if there was a. They probably saw that episode and got inspired or something. They might do, but I mean, I mean, it's always been one of the best ways. It's, so basically, what what you try and do in any kind of uh, extortion attempt, any kind of criminal enterprise, any phishing email of any type, right, is trying mm-hmm. to uh, increase the emotion of the individual, because mm-hmm. in that emotional sort of state that we get into our decision making capacity reduces considerably so what we're, so what a lot of the emails are trying to do a lot of the contacts so it's on the phone as well is is trying to get that person to be a little bit frightened or maybe very frightened to introduce some doubt M- maybe even make them happy you know a lot of people click on emails that are malicious they have things like you know you've won a prize or you've won the lottery or you know as uh there's a free gift or, you know, it's things. So what they're doing is they're playing on the emotions. They're playing on maybe f- try and get someone to be scared of something, someone to be happy and desire something, all these different emotional states. And, and when we're in that state and our decision-making capacity is reduced, they give you a way out. So, you know, click on the link, pay the money, and, and this situation goes away and you're left you're kind of back to what you were or you have the the gift or the reward or, or whatever. And so so really what all of these things are trying to do is get someone into that state so that they mm-hmm. can exploit that emotional confusion. And and, and that's true regardless of, of the attack vector. And I think that's always been true uh, in, in, in cons and scams, you know. Yeah, I think a lot of people aren't aware of how... Uh sophisticated some of these you know phishing attempts are a lot of people think of phishing as fairly simple things but i one thing i heard about recently was where they had taken the picture they had actually gotten the picture of the uh, high up person at this company and then made a very realistic looking uh email that looked like a google sign-in email you know it had his picture his profile pic uh in the google you know in a, in a google uh yeah. very realistic google thing and the uh, the high up person almost clicked on it, like they said that that was why they were sharing the information. They were like, "Oh, you know, I'm very careful about this kind of stuff, but this thing looks so real, and I just was an autopilot and so used to doing like a reset thing for Google or whatever that he almost clicked it, and he thought that was, you know, quite informational about how when they, these things are designed quite well and really focused that they can fool, you know, fool or almost fool some very smart people. Yeah, I mean, it's just two ends of the spectrum. 
you've got, you know, people are just trying their luck to see if someone sort of, you know, you sent 10,000 emails out with, you know, click on this link and pay, you know, know, send me your bank details. Then, you know, just statistically, a couple of people will click on the link uh, all the way up to a very tailored and targeted, sophisticated attack that's done some research, has thought Mm -hmm. about the person at the end of the email or the end of the phone is is choosing their language carefully so that they um you know they sort of tune in and build rapport or or get straight to the heart of what that person fears very quickly and then you know and then using that as a as a way in so you know i i think a lot of the time the public um general public think that they can spot a phishing email or a fake email because it's either full of mistakes you know the mm-hmm. salutation will be silly or um it's it says something like give me your bank details you know and i'm going to give you five million pounds or whatever and and right. you know they think that they're all like that and of course the danger is that in that sort of uh the state of sort of mild arrogance that we'd spotted because they're not that clever mm-hmm. it, it is is where you know the more sophisticated attack will succeed now is that part of your work when you do infiltration kind of work do you spend time on phishing attempts too or yeah but only only in the way that you've described so so you know we, there are plenty of organizations who do a kind of blanket phishing emails um, and blanket sort of phishing training so most people who work for a, any kind of decent sized company these days will have had the sort of basic training or, or you know good or bad that says you know mm-hmm. this is what to look out for in a phishing email don't click on the link send it to your security guys or your it department you know your information technology department um in the event of doubt on an email um so so we don't really do that we can you know we we, we have partners we recommend who can do that if, if a client requires it but we do mm-hmm. do the more sophisticated emails and that involves selecting some targets in the organization you know, perhaps it's someone very senior who has access to information and, uh, you know, financial uh, details or operational details that would be of use. And maybe a few mm-hmm. gatekeepers, you know, people who would have the power to let you into the building or or into the system. Um, and then people who just chat a lot about the company or, or are disgruntled about the organisation. And we, we select them through social media and what we call OSINT, which is Open open Source Intelligence. You know, lots of information about individuals available online, freely given most of the time. So people are forever, you know, updating their Instagram and their Facebook and their Twitter and all the social media platforms. Um, right. And through that, we build a profile. And through the profile we can make an email or, or make an approach that is believable, you know? So the person who's, you know, goes, jo- I, there's a lady I follow and she goes jogging a lot and she, she likes to run, you know? So, so, so we would look at that and maybe use, use that uh, in some way to, to, to sort of get to it. And, and obviously we're not doing this in a malicious way. So we're doing it to monitor, to educate, to, to, to strengthen. Uh, you're not, you're not kidnapping her. Not, not lately. <laughs> that was early days. but it's the art of the possible right that's what we're showing so uh i know you don't probably don't want to share all your uh, tricks of the trade but I, I was thinking do you have an interesting anecdote about a, a job you did that you know people might find interesting about infiltrating a company and the approaches you took i mean sure i mean it, it's funny isn't it because i I've, you know, people ask me a lot about like, you know, what's your favorite sort of um, attack or whatever. And I think what happens is details stick in your mind 
of different jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was just uh, saying, thinking about a job the other week, you know, I was, um, I was on the, a, a, the, we very often end up on the roof because it's easy to, sometimes it's easy to get in, but you have to hide somewhere, you have to wait for your moment and, and the roofs are a good place to do it. They're very often evacuation areas. Um, mm. and with, you know, hopefully with, uh, somewhere that you can kind of sit and relax for a while without a camera, uh, you know, and, and go back in at some point. And I was on the roof of a building in, um, now, I think it was in Scotland. And, you know, the whole idea was it's kind of overlooking the city centre. There's an awful lot of uh, people and traffic and everything. It was very late at night, you know. And then from, from, from the roof, we were going to get into the building and walk around the building a little bit. And I was on there and I could smell. I was so hungry and I could smell um, all the food coming off from the street. You know, it was great street food and everything. And we'd more or less done it. What I had to do was get back into the building uh, call in a few places. I had to plug some cables and things in. I leave business mm-hmm. cards and, and little photographs and things to show where we've been. Um, I had to take a couple of keys and then just generally see if there was anything we could take to show that it wasn't secure and then get out. But I, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, I was so hungry and uh, I got to this lady's desk <laughs> and she'd left this cake and it just was like, so it must have been someone's birthday in the office. And I thought, oh, you know, that cake smells. It looks great. I'm going to eat the cake. And so I finished the rest of the job sort of, with, with you know, sort of whilst eating birthday cake and walked out. And it, it's it's that type of, you know, it becomes so natural now that you kind of don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> about, you know, you, you, you then you just think, I'm just going to nick the cake and, the, you know, and I'll see them. And the thing is, we'll see them in a week or two. It clearly, she fin- you know, obviously was finished with it. It was just a piece that was left and I said yeah I'm really sorry we were doing the DB I'm really sorry but I was hungry and ate someone's birthday cake you know and so it's it's things like I suppose so that's not really about getting into a building but it sort of shows you the how comfortable we are doing the job that we do and um, you leave a card did you leave a card when you took the the slice of cake yeah of course well, well actually I have the thing I leave behind is little octopuses I have these little silver octopus charms Okay. Um, and I leave that on the client's desk and sometimes on other desks. But no, I left a card and I did buy her a big, just to say I'm not horrible or anything. I did buy the whole department, the load of donuts and apologize, but I just was hungry. Um, yeah. but- I was just thinking of workplaces where uh, people complain about people eating their food. I was thinking maybe those are all information security uh, people breaking in and, and stealing their cake or food. For you know? sure. And I mean, I think I think the other thing to say, Zach, is you know, to give an idea of the type of um, – so another anecdote about getting into a place, you know, I always talk about um, we, we, we tend to tailgate in or we tend to have um, premises, uh, but we, we call it a pretext. So we tend to pretend to be someone else to get in, you know. So I might pose as a delivery. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. I'm de- delivering flowers or, you know, measuring up a conference room for new carpets. Um, mm-hmm. There's been, you know, so it depends on the company and and and, the, and, and what's happening in that company, what we choose to do. Um mm-hmm you know, to get in. So there's lots of, there's there's sort of, I feel like in my, you know, over the years I've spoken about so many of them really, but uh, there's lots like that. But we've broken into museums and theme parks and um, national monuments and offices and shopping centres and libraries. I mean, it it just, the list goes on and on really. Well, that sounds fun. 
Do you like that movie, Hackers? Or no, Sneakers. Yeah, so I did a live tweet. I used to live tweet. I don't do it so much anymore, but I used to do sort of live tweets uh, and say, look, everyone, you know, no matter where you are, and it was always a difficult for, for the guys in the States because, you know, we'd all be, be 9 p.m. or whatever in the UK and you guys would only be still in work. But we'd say, you know, come on, let's all watch Sneakers or Hackers. And we watch Sneakers, Hackers, uh, Catch Me If You Can and Ocean's Eleven. Have you ever had to move really slowly like Robert Redford in, in sneakers <laughs> by a motion sensor detector? So I avoid motion sensors whenever possible, but I have a crew that I work with and I've been reliably told uh, that that actually um, how to get past one or at least most models of one. Mm-hmm. Um, Interesting. And, and and it seems like something that requires dexterity and a level of fitness that I'm perhaps lacking now. I'm a bit older than I used to be, but um, I, I've I've had to certainly be, learn to be very quiet and <laughs> and learn to think on my feet and improvise um, conversations with people. And you know, you know, we talk about reading people. Mm-hmm. I guess one of the things that that you learn very quickly is to read people and to read whether someone's onto you. Uh, whether someone's going to talk, whether someone's distracted enough for it not to matter. So on my feet, right. that's what we do the entire time, I guess, you know? Right. I guess you get pretty used to, like, say you're in a building and somebody stumbles across you. Uh, what you, you must have certain, um, you know, pre-thought out uh, things you say or approaches you take, depending on how angry or, uh, you know, how serious they seem about reporting you or things like that. Sure. I mean, you have a you have a backstory, right? So we were in one place, and um, there were a lot. So you've got to see it like we sort of see it like an onion, right? There's lots of layers, and we have to peel back the the perimeters, the outside, and then you go layer one, layer two, layer three. It's a a common analogy in the business, and um, you know, we we were on one job particularly, and you always have a cover story, um, and we usually have one or two cover stories with props and things that would back that cover story up so you know it might be like cleaning or like sorry like cleaning like a cleaning like crew a cleaning or lady or, or, or ma- maintaining the coffee machines or pest control mm. this particular incident our cover story was um uh checking the alarm checking cameras and alarm systems so sort of sort of ironically and a bit cheekily pretending that we were improving their security as opposed to breaching yeah. it uh, That's a good one, and uh, it is a good one. Um, yeah, because it's, it's close to the truth, so it it, it 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 almost matches your actual job, and those are good lies, right? Well, you know, you see that this is the thing: is if you if you a lie is most believable buried in the truth, mm-hmm. and if you and I always say with any lie or any kind of deception, as simple as you can possibly make it is best, because the more elaborate things get the harder it is to maintain deception. Um, we suffer from cognitive overload and there's too much going on. And we, you know, you forget details. I have a friend who um, w- was undercover. She, she was previously, uh, uh, had the need to work undercover. And, um, you know, and, and she always says, you know, she she was supposed to be, uh, her pretext she was, was that she was Jewish and she isn't Jewish, right? So, you know, but for, a lot depended on people believing that, and then, uh, and then absentmindedly orders a bacon sandwich, 
uh, at the van outside, you know, outside the place she was going to work. Now, you know, this is a bad thing, but you forget because it's hard to maintain those things. You know, she was mm-hmm. occupied with a call and with other things and things started to happen. So it does sometimes um, become too elaborate. But in this particular occasion, we just talk about when you, you said about meeting people on the job. I actually did a presentation called The Seven People You Meet on a social engineering assignment because there's always people you bump into. But on this particular occasion, um, so we're there to check the cameras. That's the story. We've got a few props and business cards to back that up and just walk straight into a, a, a secure room. When someone opened the door, we just walked in through the door, uh, checked out, you know, sort of started checking around. And I said, I'm so sorry to interrupt. Um, but we're here for this and we won't be too long. And, and you know, they were like, what are you here for? Why are you here? And in that moment, that guy knew that that was not true. You know, <laughs> I can see on his face, um, you know, doubt. And I can see, uh, you know, signs of stress that, you know, this isn't right. And this is going to become confrontational. You know, there's a lot mm-hmm. of sort of physiological clues to that. Um mm-hmm. And in that moment, you know, you have to you have to handle that person very quickly in that situation. So I actually said, well, we're here to check cameras. And he said, well, there are no cameras in this room. And I said, well, exactly. And that's what we're here to check, you know, where we should put them when we put them in, which will be mm. soon. <laughs> and then you have to get out of there. And then what happens is most people are very busy. And if it sounds remotely plausible they'll dismiss it out of hand because it's just someone else's problem. It's probably not. And I don't look dangerous, right? So it's not like he's stopping three great big, you know, six foot tall, huge muscular guys who look Mm -hmm. threatening as well. It's like, you know, well, that woman, yeah, that didn't sound right, but, you know, she's unlikely to be a a threat. Right. Do you think it's it's easier uh, as a woman, do you think, to uh, let let people's guards down and, have them trust you more? Well, yeah, it's an interesting question, that, because I've been asked that question a lot over the years. I used to say yes, right, because, um, you know, we, we can look less suspicious and everything. But I think if the question kind of predicates on, on the thought, on, on the assumption that people who are looking out for you are, also, are, are men, if you like, you know, because because if women are more suspicious of other women, the men are of women. So, if we, so the times when we've been most close to being caught and the times when it's been most... Uh, interesting I suppose in terms of having to talk our way out of it has been when the security detail are female in which case it's no easier ah, okay. but but if it's a male security team then yeah because they you know we just don't look physically threat. well I think we don't look I personally don't look physically threatening and I just don't look remarkable in any way I just look like a normal colleague uh and you kind of, and I, and I guess you'd know about it yourself, but you, you, you can kind of squash a lot of your personality and kind of, I pull in the extra version uh, that I have. I think I do have, and, and I pull all that in and, um, mm-hmm. and just become less kind of extra as my friend would say, don't be so right. extra, Jen. Less attention gathering. Yeah, uh, exactly. That kind of would make the point of having a diverse um, security force just to balance your, you know, levels of uh, suspicion, you know, like if, you know, women are going to judge women harder. Maybe it makes sense to have a uh, balanced security security force or something. Absolutely, and I t- I do t- I've got uh, I've done talks on this and and, and articles. Um, actually, in in the not too distant future, about exactly that because um, 
just just because diversity is good and security and it's good for that reason as well as a million other reasons but you know the bad guys are not going to not hire um the best and if the best are female they're not gonna there's no worry about that it's almost like there's i feel as if i've not really come across uh too much sexism in the criminal world which is quite good really right yeah it's very inclusive because no one really cares where you're from what you look like what you do with your life as long as you can do it right we should be like that on the defense side as well right yeah criminals just want to uh yeah they're like if the woman's the best person to do this job then they'll do it with no with absolutely no you know hesitation in my experience that could be a tedx talk how uh diversity and, and inclusion in the criminal uh, world. It'd be great. Wouldn't that be great? Be better than me others. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to ask any other uh, interesting anecdotes that, that come to mind for, uh, for infiltrating the company, anything, anything there that listeners might like, like to hear. I mean, sure. I, you know, it's, it's, there are times when, you know, we spend an awful lot of time planning. So so the level that I operate at and the type of uh, heist, I suppose, we put together is different than a lot that's in the security industry. It's better funded. There's more people. It's a higher level thing. Uh, so it happens. It's more rare these days. But, uh, you know, a lot of the time, what the, the ones I remember is when something very simple works even though we've put together all these months of, of, of sort of planning and everyone knows their roles. And there was a time when, and I talk about a lot when I, when I do presentations, but there was a time when we were looking at an industrial site, uh, actually over in Ireland. Uh, and it was in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, any car approaching, anyone approaching would have been seen. Um, very kind of difficult, location because it was hard to do surveillance on it from any kind of um good vantage point because excuse me you'd be seen so we we'd spent weeks uh in all these ingenious ways of kind of looking at it and sort of doing these drive-bys and chanting what we could and our intelligence wasn't great really as how to get in and the main thing about the whole thing was it had a huge uh fence around the exterior and the guy had spent a fortune on it. And he actually said to me, the client, he said, you know, you probably won't get in. He said, because we've spent £2 million on this exterior fence. And, <laughs> and and the odds of you getting through it or over it without us seeing it, you know, a zero. I mean, it just won't happen. He said, the only way you'll get in is if someone leaves a door open for you uh, and you walk in. And like, you know, like that's going to happen. Uh, so we printed some signs up. And I went in as a, uh, we got into the car park. Our pretext was we were one of these companies and they have them in the UK where they come to your workplace. If you've had a stone shatter your car windscreen. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you have this in the States, but we obviously you can't drive if your windscreen's cracked. It's illegal. Right. So mm-hmm. we, sh- oh, this is so bad. And this is giving things away, but we shot out a guy's windscreen um with a pellet gun so it was cracked mm-hmm. and then call and, and then you know basically called and said you know your windscreen's being cracked this is security um whatever but, the, but they said we've noticed it did you see it and he's like oh shit no i didn't see it and you know maybe that happened someone must have done it while it was parked etc etc so we said well look you know we've got you're covered don't worry you're covered um 
we have a we have a you know repair company that comes to the car park of the office and just does it you covered on your work insurance type thing and he bought it and so and it was crack like uh this windscreen was crack and so because you you shot it because we shot it with a pellet with an air pellet gun yeah and then because we you know because all that damage and everything's all paid for once it's over the, like everything the, the company right, right. so that so basically then we get to security and we say to security we need to get through to repair this guy's windscreen <laughs> um and we had the van with the magnetic sign and we look very plausible and we look like these auto repair guys and get through but the real reason we did that we did go and we didn't replace his windscreen said we didn't have the equipment i can't remember what it was but the real reason was so that we could leave a sign on the door at the side that says please do not close this door mm-hmm. and then no one closes the door and because mm-hmm. and, and the guy the client had more or less told us leave the door you know that's the way you get in is only if someone leaves the door open so because <laughs> people were polite and people do as they're told and if they see that that sign um they left that door open and, and we literally just walked in through the door oh that's awesome uh, was there much, and the, and the security guard just let you right in when you told him what you were there for? Yeah. Well, because it's all, um, it all adds up, you know. So, so we've got paperwork. You can see the evidence of the car. Um, we look perfectly plausible. It's not something that really anyone in the company would really know about. You know, it's not like like who are you going to check with? Um, you can see right. us in plain sight the entire time in the car park. So there's absolutely no reason to suspect we're doing anything else. And by the time you sort of mess around a bit and look a bit fed up and come backwards and forwards and ask him if you can use the bathroom and can you use his phone and make realistic calls, guy's completely bored of it. You know, it just isn't right. of interest. But it's it gives us family. long enough to go to go and get that door open. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting stuff. Interesting. <laughs> um, let's see. What else do I have on my list here? Do you think it takes an extroverted personality to be good at what you do, or do you think it uh, can at least help? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, it's confidence. You see, on the one hand, you go with whatever you are, right? So if you are someone who's naturally a nervous person, and you, or, or you get to these situations and understandably get a bit nervous, then you play with that. You know, that's the, that's the don't go against how you really feel, right? You go with mm-hmm. what who you are and, and, and what you do because and how you feel at that moment. And, you know, I remember I, I, on my podcast, I spoke to a really, really well-known guy, Chris Hagnaghi, and he said that, you know, he, that's what he said. He said, we always train. If you're nervous, go with the nerves. You know, if you're happy, go with the happy. If you're an extrovert, go with the extrovert. So it doesn't mean that someone who isn't extroverted can't do the job. But I think the problem comes with with the lack of confidence. So if you can if you can be very nervous all of a sudden, you can lose confidence in what you're doing easily. Um, then you know these larger planned assignments probably aren't for you because you would, you know, it does get quite. Uh, we get close to yeah, getting caught like, a lot yeah. of times. It gets quite yeah. It gets quite. It gets quite confrontational in as much as you do have to improvise, you do have to deal with the people. But if you're in, it's different if you're a hacker from a distance on a computer, you know, the least amount of human contact is is possible there. And we try and minimize the amount of human contact on a job as well, but you just can't avoid it if you're in a site. And I think if you're an introverted person, that would be 
it would be the moment when you have to talk your way out of something or when you have to kind of do more with the character that you're that you're playing um that that, that right. might that might make it difficult but i mean i don't think impossible and i don't want anyone who's too extroverted who's doing it because it sounds sexy or because they think there's some sort of james bond jason bourne figure because that kind of bravado and and showboating is going to get us caught as well so mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so it's it, it, it's 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 you don't want some complex Mission Impossible ripping face masks uh, stuff off, you know. Well, or maybe 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 you do if you, if it's if it's necessary. If it if it gets the job done, we'll try anything once. But yeah. we don't yeah. want yeah. someone who's only in it for that. You had discussed uh, uh, making yourself lesser uh, less conspicuous. Is it would it be a bad choice to like you know obviously to have. Seems like it'd be an obvious bad choice to have somebody who's very uh, catching to the eye, like somebody who's, you know, six and a half feet tall or has unusual hair color or whatever. You kind of want to blend in for the most part, you know, for whatever role you're playing and not not draw attention to yourself. I would always say so, but, you know, one of my, again, someone I've interviewed for the show is a brilliant, I mean, absolutely brilliant uh, technical hacker as well as, you know, a social engineer. There's a, a lady in the UK and her name's Holly Graceful, Holly Williams, right? And she is that. Like over six foot tall, long hair. She sometimes has it dyed pink and blue, and and she can she does the job perfectly well. And 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 again, it's what you're saying is because she goes with it. She you know she says, "Well, I'm tech support," or whatever. Mm-hmm. And she so so people think, well, you know, this, guys from IT sometimes do look like unusual, or right. you know they have the the unusual coloured hair or whatever. I mean, so so I suppose it depends on your level of skill, and really mm-hmm. as well on the company that you're hitting because if you know, you try and go with the physical, um, the physical norm of the company that you're in. So, for example, we had a job not long ago in London. It was a very youthful uh, public relations company. So most of the staff are very young, very trendy, dealing in the music business, the entertainment industry, PR, you know, uh, everyone's in the office in jeans and sort of sneakers. And, you know, there's foosball tables and beers and now, in that situation, I I didn't do that job myself, right? Because I'm, I'm older than most of the people who work there. And, the you know, for some of my age to attempt to be cool in that way is going to be obvious, right? So I'm not going to... So they're going to wonder who I am. They'll, they'll think I'm a manager at least, if not maybe the police, right? So I'm going to stand out. So in that situation, what I need is I need someone who's of the same demographic and can blend in that environment, Right. Um, And so we so we pick the person who's like the client. Um, I also have a, a, you know, one of my wing. We have wing men and wing women, if you like. My wing woman. And she's stunningly pretty. And actually, sometimes um, she can play that down very well herself. She's a behavioral psychologist, amongst other things. So she kind of is aware of certain ways to do that with people and how to interact. But there's times she absolutely uses it. And actually we were on one job um, and we went outside to eat lunch to sort of make sure we were away from people and, and you know, to wait for, we were waiting for something we had to just do it. So we might as well blend in and go and buy lunch or whatever. And um, 
couple of the uh, men who work there sort of wanted to buy her lunch and chat to her and welcome her to the company as a new employee, you know. <laughs> and it's like, you're too pretty for this one. Do something, you know, mess up your hair. I don't know, just something because they're going to remember you, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but you know, so you the thing is, you never know until you get inside a building. and You never know until you're up against people. Even if you've done research on them you feel like you know them I mean I'm sometimes inside an organization I meet someone and I know them you know we've done all the research on them online we've looked at their friends their family their Facebook we've watched them for weeks in and out of the organization I feel like I know them and you know and I've there's been a couple of times I've actually said hello hi Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know uh and then they look at me man you think oh god because they obviously don't know me they don't realize that we've done that but everything changes once you meet the humans, you know. Once you're on site and, and there's moving parts, um, it's like you need the strategic. You can do a strategic job before you go in, but what's equally important is on your feet, tactical, mm-hmm. common sense, uh, psychology, body language, the all of yeah. That. that must be yeah, must be. Very interesting work. Uh, I was just thinking uh, in poker, I've thought about this before, where, you know, most people, the large majority of people are, are, we're all kind of trained to not pay attention to other people to some extent, because it's, you know, it's, it's basically a politeness factor. So, um, you know, most people just aren't, aren't paying attention to other people. They're not looking at their faces. They, you know, they, they kind of remove the observation from people they don't know well. Um, you know, just like walking down the hall, you know, how many people are actually like studying the people around them or looking for people that don't belong or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that, that kind of thing must really help, you know, the, these uh, social engineering attempts be successful is just this training we all have to, that it, you know, that it's like, it's uh, impolite to eavesdrop or listen to conversations. You know, that's one example. Uh, uh, all these ways we're trained when we're young to mind our own business, basically. Exactly. <clears throat> And yeah, we. I, just, I sometimes say it's, people are asleep while they're awake. It's not just that culturally we've been trained to do that out of politeness. It's you. You, you cannot keep on observing everyone really closely all the time. It's exhausting. You'd overload. Right. And so people often say yeah. to me, and I'm sure they say it to you if they know that you, you know you read body language, facial expressions, or whatever. Oh, you're doing it now. You know, you're doing it right now. You're reading me now. And I often say, well. On the one hand, once you've been taught to do it, you never, you cannot unsee things. Um, but to really focus and concentrate at that level, and I'm sure it's the same in poker. You know, it's it's exhausting. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a tiring, it's a tiring thing. Yeah, sometimes I get people asking me about like, well, how do you, how do you constantly stay aware and watch people? I'm like, well, you really don't. You just kind of, you know, that would be too tiring to keep up. You, you kind of just wait for spots where you think there's, you know, might be some information present and really turn it on then. Yeah. You know, you don't, it's not like you're constantly on edge watching everyone a hundred percent, you know? Uh, so yeah, because it is tiring. Yeah. You yeah. look for anomalies, right? You look for changes in the baseline state and, and I think, but most people aren't looking at any of it. There's a, a low level of um, awareness because because they're comfortable. They're in their own. Usually, you know, they're in their own workspace. They're busy. They're comfortable. They they've no reason to feel threatened. 
going through the motions for the day. Yeah, and yeah autopilot. Sometimes they go off and I'll, yeah, autopilot. And uh, tr- also just trusting that if someone's in a place that they belong there too, because how, you know, most people at most jobs, I'm sure see a lot of people that they don't know who they are, where they're like, okay, well, they must be. Yeah, exactly right. They must be there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one other last one of the last questions I want to ask was how often are social engineering attacks happening? I, I, I hear about them. You know, we all hear about them a lot. And I kind of wonder if is that a function of them being, you know, a more sexy thing than, you know, just pure hacking from a distance. And I'm, I'm wondering if you have a sense of like, how often are those attacks taking place versus more traditional hacking, uh, computer hacking? attempts? So, so, I mean, it, if you're in, if you're in information security, so you're in the security business, we see just as many technical attacks, if not more, as social engineering attacks that come to the surface. I think I, mm. I think it's it's kind of a psychology to it that we remember the social engineering ones because because of the that factor that you said that, that it's a little bit sexier maybe or that there's people involved or or it just it reads mm. like a movie script a lot of the time you know and and and, and so right. people remember them more and they stand out. The other element to it is that most technical attacks contain some element of social engineering and uh so you know a lot of the time it's a more blended attack than, than we hear about right we tend to hear about you know what was taken or, or or who we think is the perpetrator particularly if you think it's a you know a, a state-sponsored uh attack for example mm. so um so first of all you know, I think it sticks in our mind more. It's that kind of emotional effect of it that it sticks in our head more than perhaps some of the, you know, equally harmful but less well publicized technical attacks. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the techie guys, you know, to, to give them their due, they are trying their best. They, they, they try and call them, you know, uh, names that perhaps stick in our mind. We have Spectre and Petra and WannaCry. You know, they just try and make it sexier. And it is, you know, it's just that people generally don't remember them. But you're always going to remember, you know, that there was a in London about two weeks ago, uh, one of our hotels in London, quite a famous hotel, has famously got a statue of a gorilla on top of the hotel and the, and it was stolen. Now, I mean, if you hear that story, that sticks in your head. Because, like, who stole the gorilla? Yeah. Why do they steal the gorilla? When, you know, how do they steal the gorilla? More than, oh, well, there's another virus that's attacked computers. So now, you know, so today one of our networks in the UK was down, one of our phone networks. Well, you know, it might be annoying and people might get grumpy, but they probably won't remember it as much as the gorilla. Um, right, yeah. But it's the human factor of making things interesting. It's, it's just it's just more interesting to, to people who are not perhaps fully conversant with, with, with the implications. So so mm-hmm. I'd say taking all those things into account, social engineering attacks are, um, the statistics are all over the place, depending on which company you talk to, what product they're selling. Um, what organization what we do know is it's, it's it's probably on the increase because of all those um because of the technical solutions that are in place as technology gets more difficult to crack as security becomes more complex and sophisticated human beings will always be a quicker way in to an organization mm-hmm. it's always you know we, we we all um submit to pressure bribery or blackmail uh, at a basic level so, you know, the odds of it going away uh, are, are very low. And I think it's, you know, if you go back to, you know, the first humans, the first time one human learned to lie to another human, in a way that's social engineering. And I think it'll probably be around until the last human works out that it's probably been a bad idea to lie to the second to last human. So we're around and it'll grow as long as, as, long as humans are around. 
so will that be. Kind of reminds me of what they say in poker is poker is increasingly solved from a game theory, mathematical perspective. And some people think the human element, the tells will be, play a greater role, you know, once there's more and more players playing, you know, near perfectly, basically. So just kind of reminded me of that yeah. analogy. Yeah. It's all, you know, it's just, it's something that will always be there. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and the game theories, are, you know, again, it's, it's I always say it as, it's just a truism of human behavior. It's something that, you know, your your sort of future self doesn't stand a chance up against your present self. You know, kind of like eating the right food or taking exercise or not smoking or whatever. Your future self wants you to do all those things, you know, to, to stop smoking and to, 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 to uh, but your present self I only feel- sees the immediate danger or the immediate gotcha. gratification in front of you. Yeah. And so great. So we, when I look at social engineering, I always think of that applying game theory in, in a similar context to that is it's the same thing. You know, we're, we're going mm-hmm. for that immediate gratification or that immediate situation. Mm-hmm. It's not a strategic view. If it was a strategic th- view, as in game theory, much better to, to, to play it over time. But people never do. Gotcha. Anything else you want to uh, throw in here? Or do you think we've uh, I think we've covered some good stuff? I think and- we've covered good stuff. And, um, you know, I, I really uh, w- w- was uh, interested in coming in and chatting to you about, about all of this. And, you know... Yeah, I think this will be uh, interesting for a you know fairly lay audience who doesn't know much about uh, information security and social engineering. So I think this will be I great. hope so. And j- again, I want to say uh, Jenny is on Twitter at Jenny underscore Radcliffe. The people hacker, is that what your other handle yeah, is on Twitter? Pe- people hacker, yeah. And you have your own podcast, The Human Factor, which I'm sure they can find on all the usual yeah. um, podcast platforms. And your site is Jenny Radcliffe, R-A-D-C-L-I-F-F-E dot com. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot, Jenny, for talking to me. It's been great talking to you, Zach. Thank you.